going to tell you a story. When, when I was younger, when I was maybe in my teenage years in uh, church youth groups, there was many activities throughout our youth groups that, that would be held during the year. It might be a Sometimes we did what was called a lock-in. Did anyone go to a lock-in? Maybe it was all the kids would go to the church and you'd sleep over in the fellowship hall. And, and yeah, okay, Hunter. Okay, so Hunter knows what I'm talking about. You, just, you kind of sleep over the night at the church and, and as youth. So here's the rule is you can't fall asleep. If you do fall asleep, one of the other kids is going to put some mustard on your nose and you're going to end up going like this and you got mustard all over your face, right? So it, it's just, it's one of those events that the youth would do to kind of come together. And sometimes there would be car washes and, and sometimes you would have, have youth that would, that would go different places. Maybe it was a camping trip. One of my favorite youth events as a kid was the annual trip to Magic Mountain. Anyone go to Magic Mountain as a, as a, or a, an amusement park, something like that? So it's pretty common to maybe have a fundraiser and the youth team is going to go out to an amusement park. And what would happen is you would end up inviting your school friends, those friends that didn't come to church, right? So the youth group would go and it's the friends at school that you would invite to church on a regular basis who would say, no, 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 I don't want to go. But when Magic Mountain Trip came around, now they want to go, right? Because when they hear, oh, well, it's free, you can come on and, and, and let's go. And so you would get kids who didn't normally go to church who would come just for the fun. And, and then you wouldn't see them again until maybe the Harvest Festival around Halloween time, right? They would show up again because they, it, it, it's fun. And to some, socializing is a reason why they were coming to, to church. But when the fun stopped, they... You know, they weren't there during during the other times, but it's a ministry of the church and that's why we do things You do things to to let people know that that There's more to the church than sitting listening to a guy talk once a week, right? I mean youth need to be able to socialize and they need to be able to They need to be able to come together and and, and women's groups need to be able to come together and and spend time together and, and men's groups do and Sometimes, though, as individuals, sometimes we come to church and, and we have this, this one specific reason that, that really just, man, we get so excited about going to church because of this one particular issue. It might be maybe we're serving and we love what we do and, and we're serving or, or maybe some we, we come to, to be served. Maybe there's people who, who come and, and that's their, their reason. Maybe... We come to see others at church. Like it's, it's kind of a social, and then there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be able to see each other, right? Maybe sometimes we come so, the, so that we can be seen. Maybe we don't have a lot of attention at home, and, and we get a chance to talk to others while we're here. And while all of these ministries in the church, from the youth group to the kids' ministry and, and women's group and men's group, which are some that we're really working on, and, and transportation ministry that, that we're working on growing. And, and while these are so, so important to the church, they're not always the main focus, or they're not really the main focus of Jesus himself, right? It's interesting when we start looking at what Jesus did. And in this sermon series called What Jesus Said, 
It's an extension of our overall series that's going to take us more than a year as we're looking at the chronological issues, the chronological stories of Jesus as we go from his birth to his crucifixion and his resurrection. And we're looking at a few stories here this summer and really seeing what it is that Jesus said. And we're going to see today that what the people wanted from Jesus and what Jesus wanted to tell the people were two different things. I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning. We're in Mark chapter 2. We're going to be reading in verses 1 through 12 in a message that's really going to show us why they came to Jesus. You to follow me. We're in Mark. We're in chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3 to begin with. Mark writes this, he says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. We're going to stop right there for just a moment. I want to see if, um, there we go. Okay, so, so here, here's your verse up here. This is Mark 2, 1 through 3. And many of you have heard this sermon before. You've, you've heard these particular verses been read, and we've looked at it. This is normally looked at as a scripture based on faith of, of, the, of the four men that brought a paralyzed man. But what we're going to look at is what it is that Jesus actually says. If you remember last week, we were looking at a story that happened right before this, a few days before, when Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus was in Capernaum, and they had, they had been at a synagogue, which would have been on a Saturday, on the Sabbath, and Jesus had driven a demon out of a man, and that evening had gone with Simon to Simon's house, and his mother-in-law was sick. And while he was there, Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law. Apparently, and the, and the Bible doesn't tell us exactly when, but Jesus would have left town for a few days and come back a few days later. And when he came to Capernaum, when he came back, it, people would have known that he was there. They would have known he was coming to town because the last time he was here, what he did was he brought healing to people who were in town. That He healed Simon's mother-in-law, but then the Bible tells us that everyone started bringing their sick. Everyone started bringing their relatives to him, and he would heal people, and eventually he even kind of scooted away to the outskirts of town for that evening. And when they found him the next morning, he said, oh, I have to go to other towns and preach the gospel. That's not why I'm here. Healing is a ministry, but that's not why I'm here. I'm, I'm here to preach the gospel. And so now he comes back into Capernaum, and somebody must have seen him. Maybe it's a kid playing with his dog out on the dirt road or something, right? Or a stick with that big wheel or something. He's just playing out there and it starts running back in and saying, Jesus is here. He's coming back. And the town, this is their healer. This is the man who has healed everyone in their town. Their healer is back. And the Bible says that the place where he was staying was overcrowded. And if we look what he was, what he was doing, though, he was actually teaching 
it says, while he was preaching God's word to them. Not necessarily what they were there for, but that's why he was there, was to preach God's word. If we go into the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it gives us a little bit more of this story. Luke also records this story, and Luke says this. He says, one day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up at every village in Galilee, in Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And of the Lord's and of the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. So now we know that there's this home that Jesus is at, and he is speaking at, and he is preaching, he is teaching in this home. And not only is it people from the city in Capernaum that are there listening to him, certainly wanting him to heal, wanting to see something, Luke tells us that some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law are also in the crowd, are sitting nearby. So it's more than simply just the common city folk who are there. The Pharisees and the religious leaders. So there's people who are way high up in the church. I want to talk about the Pharisees for just a minute because they're really important to the story and they're important to what we're learning from Christ today. The Pharisees are a very strict group of religious Jews, they live all in and around Jewish territory. And they practiced very strict obedience to Jewish law and traditions. In their eyes, to, to live with God, you had to be righteous and obey His commands, never deviating from His commands and what was in the law. And the Pharisees went so far to take the commandments that God had given them and had, and had given to Moses and they added to them so that they could make sure that they were not in any way going to, to, to fall outside of the commandments of God. We have, there's a commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy, right? They went as far as to say, okay, well that means that we're not going to work on the Sabbath. Well, Okay, God didn't really go much further than this, but the Pharisees did. They say, well, we need to define what work is. And so there's all kinds of different rules now that they have put in place to define what is work, what isn't work. Hunting would be considered work, and you could not do it on the Sabbath. You could not swat at a fly if it was on your nose on the Sabbath, because if you were to kill that fly, it would now be hunting, and you would be outside of the realms of the law, because you have, you have, you're not obeying the Jewish law and tradition now that the Pharisees have put in place because you are doing work on the Sabbath. So they've created a lot of their own commands. Now, the Pharisees were also very, very influential in the synagogue. They would have been people that you would have seen. Every city would have had a synagogue, similar to, to churches, but you would have seen many synagogues in each city. They were, they were not only religious uh, meeting halls, but they would also be judicial meeting halls and uh, recreation centers and centers where the city would come together uh, throughout the week. And the Pharisees would have a very big hand in running the synagogues. They would be somewhat of political leaders within the Jewish ranks. They did, however, have some things in common with Jesus. We don't hear a lot of the commonality that they have with Christ throughout 
the scriptures, but there were some things in common. They had deep respect for the law. When we, when we talk about the law from the pulpit, we're not talking about cops and, and FBI agents, that kind of law. We're talking about the rules that are laid down for us in the Old Testament, in the, in the, the Pentateuch, in the five books of, of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and, and Deuteronomy. They also had a deep commitment to obeying the will of God. That was very important to them. They did, however, disagree with some of Jesus's teachings. They rejected him as the Messiah, absolutely rejected him as the Messiah. They despised Jesus. This was huge. They despised him because he did not follow their traditions. See, their traditions were some that they couldn't even follow. They couldn't even follow their own rules as much as they had created rules that, that this is why Jesus will eventually start referring to them as hypocrites. Because they've created rules that they can't even follow. And they're demanding to push these rules on other people. But Jesus, in, in, in spite of this, he had, a, he had this ability and he wasn't afraid to actually hang out with people that the Pharisees wouldn't. Pharisees would not hang out and spend time with sinners. Those people who would have been considered wicked in society are people that the Pharisees just absolutely would have nothing to do with. And, 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 and because of that, they would, they would absolutely ridicule Jesus that he would spend time with, with people who were sinners, people who were looked down upon. And this is one of the big reasons why they, wouldn't, they just didn't get along with Jesus at all. But see, the work of Jesus isn't about following the lessons of man. And he made that very clear. He made it clear to the Pharisees. He made it clear to people who he was speaking with that it's not following the, the lessons of man, it's following the Word of God. I want you to watch this and write this down. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us on the left-hand side of your bulletin, you'll find some... So fill in the blanks, and I'm going to give you those, those fill-ins up here on the screen. Point number one in your notes, the main work of Jesus is to be teaching the Word of God. That's the main work of Christ. When, when, he is, when He has come to earth, He has a main reason, a main goal in His work, and that is to teach the Word of God. See, it's not so much having a main goal of taking youth to Magic Mountain. Not the main goal, right? Ministry, but not the main goal. Right now in our story, people are lined up outside this house that Jesus is at, really wanting healing. He had been there before. He had been in town before and they had healed. And you have the Pharisees that are listening to him. But see, they're not listening to learn. They're listening to see how much his message is different from man's message, the one that they've created. Jesus had healed so many in this town, and, and they would have been so excited to see him back because of his, his healing power. The Pharisees want to know what he's going to say, and people are just mesmerized here as they're, as they're watching him. They're mesmerized, mesmerized by his healing power. But see, to Jesus, the reason that they are there and the reason that they are listening isn't the reason why he is there and the reason why he is talking. Two different things, right? 
kind of goes back to why do, why do we come to church? There is, a, there is a main reason. And yes, absolutely, there's other reasons because you know, we can connect with a body of believers. Absolutely, we can connect with a, with a women's group or with a small group and we need that. But the, the, main, reason, the main reason that we're involved in a church is the main reason that, that Christ came and, and that is to, for us to be learning the Word of God, right? For us to be connecting closer to Christ. There are some churches that have, and, and you've probably been to them, you've probably seen some that might have way amazing worship teams, and you've got, you've got a band with an amazing light show and, and a concert-style worship experience, and that fog machine, right? It's got this, okay, so it kind of goes back to a, to a standing joke that I don't know is much of a, a, a joke, but it goes back to in, in our beginning, I, I had made a, a, a vow that our church, our church will never have or has never had, and we're not a fog machine church, so if, if there's, there's not really any fog back here, but, and not saying there's anything wrong with that, because it's sometimes, that's how, how people can connect really well. There's some churches that might have a very, very good food ministry, right? We might have a very good children's ministry. And some of these things are, are ministries that Paris Valley Community Church will grow into as we get to that point. Maybe it's a great women's group, but it's just like healing is a part of Jesus' ministry. We need to remember that these ministries are simply a part of the message of Jesus and part of the work of the church, but not the church, Right? It's not the message of the church. The messages of the church, it, 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 it shouldn't be that, that we're leaving church and we say, you know what, I go to this church because that light show is spectacular, right? I mean, you sh- wow, you should come and hear this guy on guitar. That's amazing. Um, it's, uh, did it go into... Um, okay, so it might, it might have died. I'm going to give you the fill in the blanks as, uh, as we go along. And, uh, and Jerry will be back in two weeks. <laughs> and uh, um, So it's remembering that ministries are simply that. Ministries are ministries, and they're part of the work of the church, but they're not themselves the message of Jesus. It's important that we, we remember why we're involved in the church and, and that, that we are, as a church, a covenant community of believers, Say, well, that's kind of a powerful term. It is a powerful term. A covenant community of believers. Where else in our lives do we have covenants? Pretty popular in a marriage, right? It's a covenant relationship. A biblical marriage is a covenant relationship. A church is a covenant relationship of believers that says, you know what, these, this, this is my church, and, and these, these are people who I grow closer to Christ with. That covenant that we have with each other, it's a covenant we have, that we have with Christ. It's a covenant relationship with Christ. It puts us in community with each other. It's not about the music. It's not about the preaching. It's not about the, uh, you know, our, our, our TV screen or, or, our, or our, our lights and our sound. It's not. You've heard me say this time and time again. It's not about, but it is all about Jesus, Right? It's not about fill in the blank. It's all about Jesus, right? Don't get me wrong. These ministries are absolutely important. 
And when we look at our city, and as we look at, at, at our, our, our vision of our church, these ministries are areas that are going to be so important as we grow. I mean, we just announced this morning that, that a, a piece of machinery for a ministry that we have is, is now here. And it's a, it's a ministry piece. But would it be fair to say it's not about having a Ford excursion, right? It's all about Jesus. Come back with me in your text. We're in Mark chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> Mark writes this. He says, and they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. It's pretty important words that we hear from Jesus as he's talking to a paralyzed man that has just been lowered from the roof. And Jesus, and we hear right away that Jesus said, seeing their faith. I told you a few minutes ago that the sermon and, and, and this piece of scripture is typically referred to as, as, a, as a scripture that focuses on the faith of, the, the, of these four men. And we are going to touch on that for a minute. Point number two in your notes this morning I'll read this to you. Our faith leads to a stronger relationship with Jesus. Our faith leads to a stronger relationship with Jesus. These four men who were lowering a man on a mat right down in front of Jesus. And, and when it talks about, and you may have heard the story, when it talks about they dug a hole through the roof above his head, it wasn't an underground home. Typically, the homes were made out of material, maybe a thatch on, on the top, a, um, a lot of branches, maybe a, a type of, uh, of adobe of sorts to where the roof, it, it wasn't like ours these days, like concrete and rebar and, and, and trusses and you, you could physically create a hole in the top of the roof. And, and we know outside of the house is just flooded with people, and the Pharisees are there also. See, the Pharisees, remember, they are they're people who are very influential in the community, right? And they're not a big fan of spending any time around sinners. And if you're somebody who has a medical condition, you probably got that because of something that you did wrong or your parents did wrong. It was a sin that, that, that has committed you to a life of being paralyzed. They're not going to spend any time walking around somebody who is paralyzed. And, 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 and even there's the crowd there that's in the way of getting to Jesus, but also the fact that we have Pharisees that are in the crowd that really aren't going to want to be seen around a man who's paralyzed at this point. So there is faith of these four men that, that dig a hole in the top of the roof and lower this man. When you talk about our faith leading to a stronger relationship with Jesus, we had mentioned something earlier this morning that we're launching later in June. You want to see a relationship with Jesus grow? When we put Jesus in control of our finance, and we see, we see what Jesus could do with finance. Our faith can grow so much more than we ever knew that it could, right? When we put Jesus in charge of our marriage, then our faith can grow even more than we ever thought that it could, right? Faith requires you to step into an area that you're not comfortable with. 
It, 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 it requires you to do something that you're not good at. It requires you to put somebody else in charge. Right? I don't know of anyone else that I want in charge of my money, my marriage, my life, my work, my world. Why don't we put the creator of all of those things in charge? Amen? You can go to Barnes & Noble if it's still around. I don't know, is it still around? Barnes & Noble is still around. Everything is closing these days. But you can go and find a self-help section. And there's self-help for whatever self you are and whatever help you need. You will find something. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing about somebody who wrote a book on it. You don't have to be an expert in anything to write a book. You just have to have some money and a publisher, right? Anyone can write a book. It just takes a whole bunch of people to buy your book, and now it seems like your book has some sort of, a, some sort of recognition, right? Would it be fair to say that in the time since and maybe before the printing press, that there have been things that have been published that weren't 100% accurate, right? I mean, it happens. It happens in our newspaper all the time. It happens in a lot of books that you buy. Sometimes I wonder, why are we going to self-help when we haven't even yet asked for soul help, right? I mean, there's, there's a book that we all have. Some of us have it on our nightstand, and, and, and it really, before we go to Barnes & Noble, this one just needs this. <sighs> right? And there's so much truth inside that if we just give Jesus this part of our life, it helps us build our faith. Right? It's sitting down on that chair that you've never sat on before. Typically, most of us don't really wonder about it. It looks like a chair. We know we've sat in chairs before. We're just going to trust it and sit down in it. And we do. Uh, rarely do we come to a situation where it's going to fall. But when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to putting our, our faith in him, these four men in front of an entire crowd with Pharisees in the crowd went and started destroying the roof on somebody's house. It was that important to them to lower their friend down in front of Jesus. That's faith. That is faith. That's stepping out. If you want to think what's going through their mind when they get there with their friend on a mat, I can see something like this. You know what? I don't know if this is going to work, but it's worth a try. Right? If I'm sitting in the self-help section at the Barnes & Noble looking at books, I think, I'd, I think I'd like to hear somebody say, you know what? I'm going I'm to try the Bible first. Like, whew, blow, the, blow that dust off and say, I don't know, but... I want to give this a try, right? There's so much in our life that allows us to grow closer to Christ when we, when, we come in, when we come in faith. And did you see? Remember what Jesus said? He says, as they lowered this man down, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. I want you to think about that for a minute. I don't know that we have any indication that this man was lowered down for his sins to be forgiven. I don't really think that that's the reason why the four men lowered him down. 
They weren't thinking forgiving my sins. Let's, let's put him down in front of Jesus to see if Jesus will forgive his sins. No, he's paralyzed. They're there for healing, right? That's why they came. Remember, sometimes that's why we come to churches for the ministry. But see, Jesus went back to the meaning. He says this, if you follow me back, we're in Mark chapter 2, in verse number 6. Look what happens after Jesus says that. But some of the teachers of the religious law, the Pharisees who were there, okay, they were sitting there and they thought to themselves, why is he, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier for me to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. Jesus is having a conversation now with the Pharisees who are out here in the crowd, and they haven't spoken a word to Jesus. They might have talked this amongst themselves. Remember, it's a big crowd, okay? So they're back there in the crowd, and when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they're talking to each other, saying, who, who is this guy? Who is this guy? He's saying that his sins are forgiven? Like, only God can do that. Jesus is way over there. You, you know, he can't hear them talking, but he could hear their hearts, right? I think that's a great lesson for us. That God could still hear our hearts even if we're not talking, right? He knows what, he knows what we're saying here. Jesus tells them, is it easier for me to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Which honestly has no physical evidence, right? Jesus says your sins are forgiven. It's not as if we can see that his sins are forgiven. Pharisees can't really see that. Jesus says, or you think it's easier for me to just say stand up and walk, which does come with a physical evidence, right? Jesus isn't after... We talked about this last week. He does heal. He can heal. He absolutely heals. It's a ministry of his mission. But last week we focused on what Jesus wants to heal. It's point number three in your notes. The mo more amazing than Jesus healing our body is his ability to heal our hearts. More amazing than Jesus healing our body is his ability to heal our hearts. Remember, he is there preaching the good news, right? That's why he is there. The Pharisees are there to catch him in a lie, to catch him in some sort of a some some sort of a maybe he's going to say something that they could use against him later. All the people are there because they, they knew that he was healing the last time that he was in town. It's so much of a big deal that these four guys go and get their friend who can't walk. He can't get to Jesus. He's paralyzed. So he's got four friends that say, okay, let's go see Jesus. There's been a physical evidence of him healing. He's already shown that he could heal. He, he had done it last time that he was in town. Yeah, he can heal. He did it in this town. And we're going to see as we continue watching his story and his life that he's not done healing. We're going to come across many aspects of, and, and moments in the ministry of Jesus where he's going to heal. We're going to come across those over the next year or so. We're going to see different people that he's healing. But more amazing than Jesus healing our body is his ability to heal our hearts. 
We talked about this last week too. If Jesus has his choice between healing our bodies or healing our hearts, it's our heart that he wants to go to first. Because our bodies, our bodies absolutely have an end date, right? They've got a start date and an end date. And we don't like thinking about our end date very much. We don't, and I understand that. It's hard. But see, our soul does not have an end date. It doesn't have a stop date. It is going to live on forever. The question is, where? If Jesus has His choice of healing your body or healing your soul, soul first, because it's going to live forever. And He says, I want it to live with Me. That's what He wants to heal first. That's why He was preaching. Everyone else who is there is there for physical healing. He is there for soul healing. He showed up that day. He came back to Capernaum to preach and to teach. See, that's not what they were after. The Pharisees were after something so much different than what it was that he was there to to show. And it would have eventually become one one of the reasons that the Pharisees now want to kill him is because he's not going to live his life. He's not going to walk his ministry by their rules. He's going to manage his ministry by God's rules. He's not there to tell man's message. He's there to tell people God's message. And part of that message is going to send him to the cross because he has to. But right now in his ministry and where we are in, his, in the storyline, his ministry really hasn't been active for that long. We're actually in the early parts of his, of his ministry. We've got so much to move into as, as we start really continuing to study who Jesus is and what Jesus says. But when we speak about what Jesus says, and our focus in this sermon, I want you to pay attention to this. If you come back with me to Mark chapter 2, I'm in verse number 10. And I apologize about the the illustrator and not having the not having the the words up here for you but mark chapter 2 in verse number 10 as we continue jesus says this and he's talking to the pharisees and he says so i will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins jesus says this to the paralyzed man he says stand up pick up your mat and go home Verse 12 says, And then the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. Then they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We never had seen anything like this before. See what happened? He actually gave the people exactly what they were there for. He healed this, he healed this man. His goal in healing this man was to show the people, and even the Pharisees, to show them more than I can heal somebody, but to show them that, yes, I can forgive sins. Because there's a physical evidence that comes with now one man being paralyzed for life and now being able to walk. Jesus says, to show you that I can forgive sins, watch this. Tell this man, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And it says that they were all amazed and they praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. 
but it does lead it does lead to faith being based on experience see some people that day their faith wasn't based on what jesus was teaching it was now based on what jesus did and it was based on the fact that they just saw somebody healed if they hadn't seen somebody healed they may not have believed leads to point number four in your notes some people will only believe in signs and wonders there's some people who will only believe in signs and wonders. It's, it's something that, that we, we've seen even going back to, uh, Paul writes about it. He, he, writes, to the, he writes about the, 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 the Greeks. They, they're, they're logical. They want, they, want, they want you to come to them with answers. Jews want signs and wonders. As everyone wants something. What Jesus wants to do is he wants, he wants to prove himself by faith. He wants you to put your faith in him, and that's how now you're coming to him. You're understanding who he is. See, there's one thing about signs and wonders is that they, they expire after a while, right? Or sometime a, sometimes a world like ours, it becomes so full of signs and wonders that you really don't know what's real and what's not real, right? I mean, back then, they're not turning on television and watching somebody be cured in every one-hour medical drama show, right? We've seen a lot of things in our world of media, if we were to demand signs and wonders that is more significant than anything that we've ever seen, if we're to put God to the test and say, I'm only going to believe in you if, if I see you do this. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm here teaching. I want you to believe in me because, because you read about me and because everything in my word is true. Because everything in this Bible is God-breathed. It's God's breath breathing words onto the pages through human authors that is inspired by God, telling us the history of his people, but pointing to him all the way through the Old Testament and pointing to Christ all the way through the New Testament, pointing us to Christ is our way to salvation. He's saying it's not about signs and wonders. It's not about a super amazing light show. It's not about a fog machine. It's all about Jesus, right? It's all about my words is what he's saying. He says, listen to what I say. I'm going to do this. I'm going, I'm going to give you this sign because this is the only way that some of you are going to believe. Now, you and I, in our modern day context, some people would say, well, well where's Jesus today showing his signs and wonders and all of his miracles? Jesus got to a point in his ministry, he says, you know what? I don't have to do anymore. I really don't have to do anymore. I've shown you, I've told you. You and I have this book. We have our Bible that is, that is full of the words of God, that is full of the words of, of Christ that is teaching us. It's full of his miracles. Here's the one thing about the Bible. Systematically, if you're going to believe word number one, you have to believe all of them. Absolutely the way that they are written. When we start going into our Bible and picking apart pieces and saying, you know what, I believe this, but I don't, I don't believe in this. Then we're telling God that something that he's put in here doesn't meet our standard. 
And our standard, is, our standard of belief is above his standard of writing, right? We're telling God that we're only going to believe certain things because, you know, this, this, is, what, this is what we hold to. Here's the thing. Sometimes in reading the Bible, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you're going to come across something. You're going to come across something, and it's going to be hard to read. And you know what that is? That, that piercing feeling? That's truth. That's what that is. That's the Lord saying, okay, there's a difference between what I'm telling you and what you're telling you, and I rule. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the leader in this. My truth doesn't change. The truth of the world changes a little bit from time to time, right? The truth of God has not changed, does not change, and will not change. It is absolutely there. Signs and wonders, it needs not. It is simply the Word of God and should be enough to fill our hearts. The Word of our Lord is an absolute authority and needs to be an absolute authority in our lives. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, there is truth in every page. And we can't take anything out of it. And we don't put anything into it. This is God's Word. It's not our Word to mess with. It's not our Word to say, you know, I'm going to believe this, but I'm not going to believe that. See, this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were there listening to Jesus, and they were, they were okay with some of the things that he was saying until he said that I am the Messiah. And then they're like, no, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Until he told them that, until he started having conversations about his disciples eating and, and picking grain on the Sabbath. They're like, no, I don't want anything to do with that. He said, you're not living by man's rules. He's like, no, I'm not living by man's rules. I'm living by God's rules. And that's exactly where, where we are in our walk. That's exactly the same thing that we are to do. Yeah, we've got to live in man's world. But first and foremost, we live by God's rules. Amen? Amen. God's rules are all throughout Scripture. Jesus shows us in his words. We look back and say, what does Jesus say in this sermon? What Jesus said, he says, your sins are forgiven. He says to prove that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Think about that. The authority on earth means he also has the authority in heaven, right? He has the authority in heaven to forgive sins, but there's only one who has had the authority on earth to forgive sins. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he simply tells a paralyzed man, pick up your mat and go home. He does that to show others. For us, I want that story to be our sign. The Bible, as it's written to us, it is that answer to that question of why, why doesn't God do that now? Why doesn't he do that? I would believe if. And Jesus says, I want you to believe then. I want you to believe then because I did it. I did all of this. You know, there's 7 billion people on the face of the earth today. 
He gave us a book to read all of these messages. If he had to go around doing a sign and wonder for every single person on earth, he recorded it for us. He gave it to us. He says, believe this, read this, have faith in this, have faith in me. The words that Jesus says in in this message and in this passage are so important. Yes, it's about the faith of the four men who came, but they came for healing. But it's about really knowing why Jesus was there. He wasn't necessarily there for ministry. He was there for his mission. When it comes to our church, when it comes here, it's our vision to always be a church on mission. To be able to go out into our community and tell people about the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To be able to tell people that this, is a, that, that this, that this church is, is a place you can come and absolutely hear what Jesus has to say. I don't know if you've noticed this yet or not, but I'm not going to sugarcoat anything from up here. There, there's no sugarcoating from the pulpit here. If the Bible says it, then I'm going to preach it. And if I don't, it's just like taking the things out of the Bible that we don't believe in, right? It's not up to us to choose what we believe. If God puts it in there, he says, this is the life that that I have planned for you. Believe it and and live it and trust me. And that's what we do. Amen? Amen. Amen.